We have gotten together for another edition of the WTOP Huddle with Dave Preston, Rob Woodford, Christian. Here we go. And, well, last week just after a huddle, it was announced uh, what, quite frankly, I didn't expect necessarily would happen, that Wizards head coach uh, Scott Brooks is not coming back with the team. And that's, first of all, what we do know is, as I talked with Scott uh, after the decision was made, uh, this was not a case uh, where he was offered a contract and it wasn't suitable uh, to his needs. It never reached that point. The Wizards... And general manager Tommy Shepard decided to, to go in a different direction. And that had to be uh, a difficult decision because Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks' relationship goes back at least 20 years. Uh, Tommy Shepard recognized the, the job and challenge that Scott Brooks had through this season and really throughout his entire five-year tenure. As he said, this team was not the team initially that Scott Brooks signed up for. As we've talked about in the huddle, this was not – a case of a coach who would coach the same team for five years and it had run into a cul-de-sac he could not get out of. It was really uh, in the second year, if you want to say, of a, of a rebuilding process. They did make the playoffs. Uh, many thought, I thought, that that might be uh, enough to, to give Scott Brooks uh, a chance to continue, given that Russell Westbrook has a guaranteed two more years left on his contract not to be. So the reality we're dealing with as we get together, Scott Brooks, is not the coach. Now the Wizards have to come up with a coach. We'll begin with you, Rob Woodfork. Your thoughts on where the team goes from here? Well, first of all, I think we have to frame this in a uh, in a way that you know people outside look at this. We cover the Washington Wizards, and they're front of mind for us. But from a national standpoint, this is not a desirable job. Uh, CBS Sports actually did a ranking of the uh, NBA openings. They had the Wizards pegged as last. So, you know, some of these top-notch candidates may pass on it. There was, um, I, I read one article that was uh, asking them to go all in on Jay Wright of Villanova. This is not a job that he would make the jump to the pros for. I think if you're the Wizards, you have to look to uh, a couple of the, the – for me, the best choice would be Sam Cassell. He has ties to the area. He grew up in Baltimore. He started his coaching career here in Washington. His first five years as an assistant coach were spent here. I would love to see him finally get an, a long-awaited opportunity to be a head coach, and I think this, this would be – the kind of situation that would be good for him in that, uh, you know, in that role. Uh, Becky Hammond is a, is a nice option. I, I think that that would be a landmark uh, uh, sort of deal. And, uh, and, and certainly if you can get Don Staley out of South Carolina, that would also be a good one. The Wizards really need to look outside of the box for this hire because you've gone the retread route. You've gone the, you know, unheralded college coach route. Now it's time to try something different. So, you know, I know Cassell doesn't necessarily count in that category, but I would love to see them uh, make him sort of the first option. And then uh, if somehow that falls through, one of, uh, you know, either Becky Hammond or, or Don Staley, if you can pull that off, I think that would be, those would be really, really inspired choices. All right. And again, you know, it's interesting on CBS Sports, uh, whether desirable location, the Atlanta Hawks just made their first Eastern Conference in, in 50 years. Was that uh, a desirable location? At the end of the day, when Scott Brooks was hired, he was probably one of the hottest coaches out there because he had come off that incredible success with the, with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Their coaching in the NBA 
uh, you know, and this is where websites and everybody can talk about all they want to talk about. It's not where a coach is a magic pill that makes a difference, whether it's college or wherever it comes. Rick Pitino, I, there's a rumor he was a pretty good coach, but his famous quote, uh, John Havlicek and whoever's not coming through that door, and he made the quote that uh, he wouldn't have taken the Celtics job if he didn't know Tim Duncan was coming. Hello, it's an <laughs> NBA draft. No, and you, yeah, you absolutely have to have the right players, but right, and it's the a, Wizards it's a only have. League and you have, a, have to have a coach that can develop the players and relate to the players, and, and, and ask player, ask coaches that have not worked out with the Lakers. Ask Phil Jackson how the Knicks worked out. It's 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 yeah. not uh, is you know a name is is for a press conference and as you referenced yeah. the college coach yeah. you know Mike guy named Michael Jordan really believed in Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton found out he was in the fast lane he couldn't get out of when he jumped from the coaching to the NBA. Dave Preston, I think there are a ton of assistants out there because it feels like every NBA team has at least ten people on each staff. So there there will be a lot of worthy candidates. Uh, Wes Unseld uh, Jr. is a name that I've heard uh, banded about. He'd be an interesting option, at least in the interview process. Uh, Rob mentioned Becky Hammond. Uh, there, there are definitely there's an opportunity for the Wizards to make a, a, a breakthrough, you know, a revolutionary hire. They could very well do that. Uh, it's it's going to be a challenge to get the right person in any time, in, in any job. But uh, you look at a guy like Nate McMillan, who was not a success in Indiana and was flushed out of there. Now he's a success with Atlanta. So you're beholden to the players that you've got. And I'm going to be curious as to see when they do make the hire, because uh, Tommy Shepard has said that they might not make it before the start of free agency. It would behoove this organization to have their ducks in a row before the draft, before free agency, before all of the offseason uh, issues are taken care of. Because I think if there's one thing that when you looked at uh, Scott Brooks and Tommy Shepard, that combination, as so often happens, the general manager is working with a coach that he did not hire. That was the case with Ernie Grunfeld uh, way back when, when he stepped in, it was a coach, you know, and what have you. Uh, Eddie Jordan was a guy that he didn't hire from what I recall. And that there's always a sense of awkwardness with that. Uh, it, it's important, I think, for the GM to be on the same page with the coach, to be on the same page with the guys that they bring in. Uh, obviously, whoever coaches this team is going to be have to be on the right page with Bradley Beal and with Russell Westbrook, at least for the next year or so. And that would be Sam Cassell because and Dave uh, uh, Johnson was talking about uh, being able to progress players, being able to get guys to perform at a higher level. That's Sam Cassell because, I mean, John Wall to this day still gives him credit for his progression into an all-star guard. So I think he would be a good fit with Bradley Beal, with Russell Westbrook. I guess it's to be determined, but I mean, that, that, I mean for a guy who played guard and won championships as a player – I would think he'd be able to uh, at least be able to get the most out of the guards, if not the entire roster. No question. And, he, and, he, and he's, he's paid his, his dues, and which is an important part of the equation. It's Absolutely. why I was such a, a champion for, for Patrick Ewing getting exactly. any job. And now ultimately the Georgetown job, the, the higher, in my view, of Ewing at, at Georgetown. Yeah, that's great. He went to Georgetown. The bottom line, it is it is a tough job and it's not. Yeah, it's not as easy as having played it or, or or having a name, you know, type of situation. You make a good point, Dave, about when the coach and GM, it's good if it's simpatico. 
you know, this was not a case where, you know, Tommy Shepard was, while he was not the general manager, he was very much uh, in sync with Scott Brooks, Eddie Jordan and Ernie Grunfeld. No, that was not a situation where, where things were in, in, in sync and it was, was difficult. Uh, Chris Chian, using your wisdom, you've grown your beard more. You can, you can really uh, pontificate now your thoughts on this whole situation. I told Totally agree with Rob on Sam Cassell. Think he would be the best option for this team head coaching wise. I was perusing through the college ranks myself and I saw T Tony Bennett and I thought, would he really ever leave Charlottesville to come to DC? I mean, would Virginia fans be so upset coming to these wizards games in the area? I mean, could he live with that? I just don't ever see him leaving the likes of getting to beat up on teams like Georgia Tech to come to the NBA where it's a lot more volatile job-wise. One name to keep, uh, totally don't think this is going to happen, but Tommy Amaker from Falls Church, <laughs> head coach at Harvard right now. This is a guy who has been a student of the game, and when you're coaching at a place like Harvard, you really are learning – you know, different basketball systems and you're working with smart people every day, I think that could really translate well here. So uh, again, I don't know that he's even somewhat even in any conversations with any NBA jobs, but Tommy Amaker, I think would be somebody, give him a call, Tommy Shepard, hook up and uh, the Tommy to Tommy connection. That I'd like that in DC. One thing I think about Tommy Amaker uh, is that I, his wife, I believe is on the Harvard faculty. And that's one of the reasons why he was not in the mix for the Duke job. Uh, I think when you look at, you know, they mentioned, you know, a college coach coming to the NBA. One of the reasons why it doesn't work for so many of these guys is that if for those of us who remember watching Gary Williams perspire on the sidelines and he was sweating over five or six losses in a calendar year. I mean, even the good teams, unless you're the Lakers under, uh, you know, uh, or the, unless you're the Bulls under Phil Jackson or the 72 Lakers, you're going to lose more than 13 games. You lose 13, 15 games in a season at the college level and you're Mark Turgeon, you've got ulcers, you know, between now and the end of time. It's, I, I don't, I, Tony Bennett, I, I just, I don't feel him making the jump. Stranger things have happened. You know, you put a, you know, a big bag of money on somebody's doorstep. They'll do things that you never expected. I think for an NBA team, I don't think you should, a college coach because they're they, even though it's still basketball they're playing a completely different game and I think you need to be a little bit more measured when you're playing an 82 game regular season best of seven as opposed to a 30 game regular season followed by six potential one and dones in the in the NCAA tournament uh, the Wiz would do be wise to go after a hot assistant maybe not necessarily a hot assistant but some an assistant who's paid their dues. Yeah, no, and, and again, this is like in the case of Leonard Hamilton, as I mentioned them, this is not any disrespect to him because he obviously has continued with a, with a tremendous uh, coach. Oh, he's been great in college, yeah. College. yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it has been a whole different adjustment, but it's a different deal. It's your program. You very much control the players, and that's not any negative against the NBA players. I'm just saying now suddenly you're running a, a different style of corporation, if, if you will, if, if you're a coach. So yeah, it's the same game, but, but it's, it's uh, not the same game. And that's, and, and it's also worth mentioning that the NBA is not the NFL and the NFL. If you get yourself a really top notch head coach that can change the fortunes of the team immediately. Uh, even if you haven't had the, the entire roster overhaul. And I think Washington, the football team is a great example of that. 
um, at least most recently. But in the NBA, I mean, there's maybe two or three head coaches that are real difference makers, if that. So, I mean, this this hire isn't going to necessarily turn things around right away. They're going to have to really increase their uh, get the most out of the players they have, first and foremost, and have some of these uh, ping pong balls fall in their favor. But they're they don't have any ping pong balls. They made the playoffs. You know, that's kind of the downside of that late season push is now they don't have an opportunity to land in that top five and maybe get one of these star players that can change your fortunes and get you to get your own big three and maybe make that push uh, for a championship down the road. Yeah, no, it's a unique, you know, look, you can point to uh, Brad Stevens. That that worked out very well. And, and uh, you know, full credit to, to him. Uh, you know, Nate McMillan, uh, you know, they didn't want him in Indiana and, and uh, he's doing okay in, in Atlanta. So, you know... <laughs> It's it's it definitely is a league where you can't do a broad brush with with you know every situation is so unique and so special and, and let's face it nobody I, I didn't see the Hawks getting this far and but then again nobody predicted this final four I don't think for the uh, although I passed the guard who told me he won seventeen hundred dollars he was probably taking Chris Chion's bet suggestions because he picked <laughs> all the teams to advance so he's smarter than we all are uh, I'll just again I'll echo the Sam Cassell because I dealt with him. Uh, firsthand. Again, I love guys that pay dues because it's an important part of not only, uh, you know, helping you as a coach in the NBA, but players note that players know that and they feel that because that's what you're dealing with, uh, you know, in the NBA. That's another reason why I think Wes Unsell Jr. has, as you look at the success that Denver Nuggets have had, he's certainly been a part of that. He's been a part of player development. He's not just a name, even though he would be a name with this particular franchise there's a there's a personal connection here i i've watched him every step of the way from breaking down every inch of back when we used videotape with the franchise and it was called the bullets so his his uh, attention and passion for the game goes back and by the way he's a johns hopkins grad as well so you're not fooling around it'll be a challenging press conference i'll have to make sure uh, my pregame questions are correct because believe me he knows subject and verb agreement that's for sure all right, well, we'll see how this gets settled. But again, this had to be a tough decision for Tommy Shepard because I know we always say tough decisions sometimes. When they, and I think, oh, nobody wants to fire anybody or, or welcome them back. Uh, but there's a, a long-term connection between these two and, and it, it had to hurt Tommy Shepard. And I know uh, from talking to, to Scott Brooks, he wanted to be back with his team and it was, it was a painful thing. So as much as... On Twitter and everything else, we, we try to, to sort out people's lives. There's a human situation here, and it, it's not an, an easy time. What's a better time as we transition to the Nationals? Dave Preston, since we've been sending you out to the ballpark, this team has been doing better. So I, you know, I'm not buying into that Kyle Schwarber leadoff hitting business. Uh, they've, been, they've been making a run with, as I said, they've been getting hot without Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer bringing the heat. So this story really kind of crept on, up on us as this team – you know, again, they're not in first place, but they're into, almost into July into their position. Well, over 40% of the schedule has been played and they're still under 500. So there's still that, Dave. But you look at what this team just did. They had an 11-game homestand and you thought, okay, they need to win at least seven or eight games coming out of this homestand for you to feel good about where they're going. They won eight. Uh, they took three of four from the division leaders, which uh, is huge. Because, you know, they're not just, you know, every game that they lose to the Mets from here on out, they're, they're losing double ground, if that's the case. So they wound up winning three or four against the Mets. 
Uh, they split with another division leader in San Francisco. And the move, you're right, the move uh, Kyle Schwarber atop the lineup, they, putting together a lineup isn't necessarily, uh, it's more of an art form than it is a craft. And you just, you just don't know. Some guys just, some combinations just work better. And you don't know until you get them in the lineup for two, three, four days in a row. And even though Trey Turner has done the most damage in his career from the leadoff spot, He's very good in that two spot. And Kyle Schwarber does not look like a leadoff hitter. He's not a jackrabbit. He's not a high uh, on-base percentage guy. I think growing up, we all looked at two guys as the uh, ultimate leadoff hitters, Wade Boggs with the Red Sox and Ricky Henderson with the A's and other teams. And Kyle Schwarber is neither of those. But for whatever reason, he works from that leadoff spot and he has a little bit more pop. That's been good. They've also been getting great pitching from guys like Eric Fetty, Joe Ross, for the most part, uh, with the exception of Francisco Lindor, he's pitched well. Uh, and you can't, when you have, when you're a team that's built on pitching, you need your three, four, and five guys in that rotation to pitch well. John Lester notched his first win this past uh, Saturday, so that's impressive. Max Scherzer comes off the injured list uh, today, Tuesday, as we record this. He pitches against Philadelphia. He's potentially pitching Sunday against Miami. That's huge because they're right now in the middle of an 11-game stretch against division foes that won't end until next Monday when they meet the Mets. They play two against the Phillies, four against Miami, then two against Tampa Bay, and four against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Rays and the Dodgers are both contenders as well. So as we get towards the end of June, early July, uh, they just finished a huge 11-game stretch. Right now, they have a 12-game stretch that they're about to begin that's equally as important. If they come out looking good on the other side, just like they did this last 11-game stretch, uh, they'll be a contender. They very well could get flushed back down to the cellar if things don't go right, though. World Series on the way. Gerardo Parra is back with the team. That's the bottom line. Yeah. I went to the game Sunday as a fan, and it was about 140 degrees. Uh, it felt like in the shade at Nationals Park. Now, I forgot – to do what a reporter should always do, check the phone before going because the Nationals purchased the contract of Gerardo Parra. So when he got up to uh, hit that pinch hit double in the seventh, I thought, I've got to get to a cooling station. The heat has gotten to me. It's 2019 all over again. So I think we're in good shape. Gerardo Parra is, is back with the, with the team, and I didn't have to go to the hospital. Rob? No, and, uh, it, it, and actually, I, I mean, look, the pitching was what carried them throughout – this stretch and actually to further Dave's point, I believe there's another uh, Mets game uh, makeup game. That's uh, in between that Tampa Bay series and the uh, Miami series, if I'm not mistaken. So another opportunity to really gain some ground in the division, but uh, this homestand was carried by pitching, which is odd because you didn't have Scherzer, you didn't have Strasburg. And of course, getting the sort of performances out of the, you know, sort of second and third tier guys, the filling guys, as it were, getting those sorts of performances were so clutch because, you know, as, as hot as, uh, as Schwarber has been, the rest of the bats have not necessarily been as consistent. And the guy I'm looking at is Juan Soto. I said it before the season, this team is only a playoff team. This team is only a world series contender. If Juan Soto is sort of the engine of that offense. If he's hot, if he's got a hot bat and he's his, you know, he's swagging out and flipping the bat and all that, then they have an opportunity to do something special. 
Uh, we haven't really seen him take off yet. And we all know that Schwarber, as hot as he is and as breathtaking as it is to watch him hit home runs at a historic rate, that's not going to be sustainable. There's going to come a time where that bat's going to cool off and they need to have somebody who's going to be able to pick up that slack. And I'm looking directly at Juan Soto when I say that, because again, if he even hits his uh, career averages in on-base percentage uh, hits, uh, home runs, if he can even hit his career averages, that is a huge boost to this lineup. So I'm, I'm hoping that we start to see that sooner rather than later. And, uh, it, you know, this road streak against division rivals, that would be the perfect time for it. All right, Chris, your wisdom. Great to see Patrick Corbin pitching well. Two quality starts in a row. Absolutely huge considering that. They did lose Max Scherzer for a start. Now, as aforementioned, he's going tonight against Philadelphia Phillies uh, Tuesday night. And I expect really Washington to keep the bats rolling. They finally are starting to drive in runs when Kyle Schwarber at the top of that lineup just is the spark plug and just gives everybody else confidence that we can hit this pitcher right out the gate. And so I just think that has been such a, a, a huge move. I mean, during that homestand, all the home runs and multi-home run games. I mean, this was a team that was scoring zero one runs. So uh, bullpen still has been pretty good. And, uh, you know, the Mets are a team that I watched. They lost three or four to the, the Nats. Does anybody sit here and say, wow, the Mets are, are, are so much better than the Nationals? I mean, outside of Jacob deGrom – and when he starts, that's automatic, but they don't really scare. You can strike Pete Alonzo out. They have a lot of injuries to their lineup. So again, I feel like I say it every week, divisions for the taking, just got to keep kind of to be cliche, like Davey Martinez at times, got to keep grinding and out, be one and oh, the next day. Well, and you make a great point. First of all, also uh, the fact that Jacob deGrom, his start was pushed back until Monday uh, against the Braves. I, you know, we're probably in a different frame of mind if the Nationals had only split that series with the Mets because as much as it was great the weekend, you also realize you're okay, great. You're now made up two games in the, in the, in the uh, standings in the pursuit against the Mets, but I'll throw out my name of uh, in Davey Martinez, I trust and believe, and it's more than this one and oh every day. I don't know if in all my years I've ever seen a manager stay a straight line through everything. This obviously includes what happened in 2019 when we were all ready to throw him out of town it seemed, and he just kept the faith and again, this has not been a smooth start to this season, but I never notice a change in his demeanor, win or lose. He, he, he seems to keep the belief uh, in, in this team. And that doesn't mean that's the simple answer and you automatically go to the playoffs or, or the World Series. But I'll say, that, say this, that, that uh, he definitely sets a tone that at least gives a team a chance to get through difficult times. And I, and I think that's proving out right now. Hey, before I tag up and head into the studio for the 315, two things. Jan Gomes has played really well, hit a couple home runs last week. The way he's gunning down guys at the, uh, from the plate, uh, base runners, absolutely awesome. And uh, two, uh, don't sleep on the Miami Marlins. Even though they're in last place of the NL East, they have the best run differential of any NL East team, plus 18. That's tied with the New York Mets. Uh, the Marlins, even though I don't think they're trying to win until 2027, they're still going to be a tough out this week as the Nats go down to South Beach. We'll send that clip to Miami, see if they get some fans there with the, with the Marlins. All right. 
As Dave has pointed out, he's got a sports test to get to. It's our time to wrap things up. Chris, we'll start with you. So any subject, any subject. You know, I'm going with the NHL playoffs because that's been my moneymaker gambling wise. You just bet on Andre Vasilevsky and outside of the Saturday night game, which that stop by Ryan Pollock uh, in the Islanders game to save that series for them, one of the best scenes I had ever seen in a hockey game. And then Tampa wins 8 nothing, And uh, Sergachev, their defenseman, said it that really nobody beats Tampa. Tampa really only beats themselves. They're going to have to play in front of a raucous coliseum. I mean, if there's one venue that I've watched on television that kind of gives me goosebumps with the fans just going absolutely crazy, it's been Nassau Coliseum. I mean, those fans have shown up. That's a difficult building to play in, but I do think Tampa takes care of business there. Vegas Golden Knights, Montreal, we see tonight. I think Vegas also uses the home crowd, and they're ultimately the better team. So I think that Vegas and Tampa start to separate themselves and will meet in the Stanley Cup Finals. But you didn't predict an 8-0 win for the Lightning. Don't no, no, that. no. I mean, I thought they were going to win kind of handedly, but but no, that's the biggest loss in Islanders playoff history. I, I checked six websites this morning just to confirm I was reading that score right. I, that was playoff hockey. That's, that's nuts. Rob? Absolutely. And if you guys aren't getting cheese pick of the week in the huddle newsletter, you're missing out because this is the stuff that you get, man. I'm telling you, he's been money. Uh, I, I need to tally up your one loss record so I can at least boast that. No, man, because then you start jinxing it. <laughs> and cold. The, the, the shoe always drops. Uh, on a more serious note, though, man, I got to give it up for Carl Nassib of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, it, making the announcement Monday that, uh, that he is gay and, uh, it's a monumental, uh, um, you know, thing that he has done because he's the first NFL player to, uh, be openly gay, uh, first NFL player on an active roster. Uh, we all remember Michael Sam and respect, uh, you know, his process of, uh, coming out during the draft process, but, uh, with Nassib as a, as an active player to do that, Hopefully this opens the door and I know, don't get it twisted. There are other gay players in the NFL. They just haven't been out front about it. Hopefully this opens the door for some of them to be able to speak their truth and then sort of inspire another generation of guys to be able to speak their truth and to, uh, and, and to feel confident in themselves enough to do that. Uh, you know, the negative stereotypes don't belong in sports. We need more male athletes. The WNBA is a trailblazer in so many ways. This is among them. I would love to see the NFL have more players come out and, uh, and, and really spark a revolution, so to speak, uh, in that vein. And I'll end with, I, I think it, it gives uh, what's going on with the swimming at the Olympics and, and kids from our area is an example of, of that uh, just believe in your dreams and, and specifically Montgomery County. I don't know what's in the water out there, but uh, a great story with Katie Ledecky uh, going to Little Flower School in Bethesda and Phoebe Bacon has Katie Ledecky as a mentor. And then all of a sudden she sees what Katie Ledecky does in 2012 and says, well, maybe swimming can take me somewhere. And now Phoebe Bacon, who just turned 18, that somewhere is the Tokyo Olympics. And she was inspired uh, by Katie Ledecky, somebody that uh, she looked up to, and now she's going to be in the same pool at uh, Tokyo. So that's that's what in sports ultimately is all about. It gives us a belief, belief that all things are possible. 
But you know what? Old time is not possible. We've come to the end of the WTOP huddle. We thank you for your time. For Dave Preston, I had a sportscast to get to, but forgot to turn off his camera. So I hope nobody does anything crazy there in the TOP <laughs> newsroom. Chris Chian and Rob Woodfork. I'm Dave Johnson. Thanks for watching. Break. Break.